Good to have you here. Good to have you here. Good to be here today. The other day, believe it or not, I saw snow coming down. I was in it. It was real snow. I'm like, this is October. It can't be snow yet. And yet it was. But the weather goes up and down. And uh, we have to stay consistent. So it's good to see you here tonight, being consistent and faithful, serving the Lord. Not always easy to come on a Wednesday. Um, not the easiest thing to break up your week or your day and to make a commitment to come to, to church. And I want to preach to the choir for a moment, but um, being faithful, and part of being faithful is being on time. It's a frame of mind. It starts with a frame of mind. We plan to be faithful or we plan to be unfaithful. We plan to be on time or we plan to be late. We plan, we make, we, we work towards that or we work our schedule so that we are faithful and that we make the commitments that, that we commit ourselves to. And it's not a legalistic strictness. It is a discipline, and it's a part of serving the Lord. Um, serving the Lord isn't something that just comes natural or easy or just flows all the time. We, we put effort to it. And uh, so I appreciate the efforts that, that you have given and uh, continue to give. And I want to encourage you to continue in that. I also want to say thank you to you and to so many who have shown appreciation on this month to myself um, especially and uh, to uh, Donna and I and to uh, Ryan and Heidi and their family. So thank you from, from all of us. We really appreciate uh, those special, um, just special um, um, cards, um, gifts, some unique and special gifts that just just shows your thoughtfulness. I really appreciate that. I want to say thank you for that. Today I want to look at Matthew chapter 12. I think I'll start at verse... I can't even see the verse. <laughs> I think it's 41. See, in my Bible, the, the verses, the numbers are intertwined in the verse. I can read the words better than I can read the actual verse. But that's just the way it's going to be. Oh, I know I got glasses in here somewhere. You know you get no, when you first of all need glasses. Yeah, younger. I didn't start wearing glasses till I was an adult, so. And then you're even getting older when you can't find them. No, I have several pairs. <laughs> okay, I'm just checking to see if I got that point yet. I've done that before, though. Okay, here it is, it is verse 41. I was right. 
the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. I've been talking, um, been speaking and, and doing some things on God as a judge, and uh, didn't use this verse, but this verse comes up because of that. But it brings a unique perspective here. Jesus is speaking to um, the Pharisees, and um, he's condemning them. But in his condemnation, he brings up something that will happen in judgment that just kind of really catches my attention. He says... The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. <laughs> um, he's saying that what you do is not going to be taken in isolation. It's going to be compared with other generations. We often think in terms of our own generation. And maybe saying, you know, I'm as faithful as anybody else around me. Well, you might be in a very faithless generation, and maybe you shouldn't compare yourself with your generation, but you should compare yourself, or you will be compared with all as a whole. And Jesus says this, the men of Nineveh will rise up because they heard Jonah, and they repented. And he's saying to them, you've heard the very Son of God, and you haven't repented. And they will challenge you on that. They will be my witnesses against you. And then he uses the same thing, talking about the, the queen. Um, the queen of the south, he calls her, will rise up at the judgment when this generation condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He was speaking of himself, of course. And he was speaking of this awesome thing of people living in his age, in his day, and not recognizing him. And it is easy for us to say, if we, if we had been there, we would have honored Christ, and we would have seen him. The truth is, what it takes to honor Christ is God opening our eyes. We will not ever see him in our natural or with our natural eyes. And so God did a work in the men of Nineveh and opened their eyes. God did a work in the queen of the south and opened her eyes to what he was doing to let her see. But that opening of the eyes is a condemnation to those who are blind. They say, you should have been able to see, but you didn't. And so there's, there's a huge... Um, thing that we wrestle with, that God holds them accountable for what they should have been able to see, but they didn't. We pray tonight. I've been praying for our culture, our generation, those individuals that we come in contact with, that we connect, that we share faithfully God's word, 
and that God would tug at their hearts and draw them to himself. At CTA, at school, I'll ask you to pray for this. We're, we're wrestling with the incident of, of one of our high school, um, one of the young men in high school, um, Sunday afternoon was shot. And uh, he's now uh, has been in intensive care since Sunday afternoon. And um, um, it will indeed be a miracle if he survives. We're wrestling with that. And I had opportunity to, um, to teach, to be a substitute teacher. That's what I do sometimes when a Bible teacher isn't there. And I was a substitute teacher. And, and so he was in one of my classes that I taught. And, um, but the fact is this, that God's word is going out and opportunities for people to hear and to listen are there and to respond. And they never know when they're going to be called to respond and never know when their last opportunity to respond to God's word is or will be. And God is showing us some things that might get our attention as believers to say, continue being faithful in taking God's word out because you don't know who you're interacting with. And to those who are hearing God's word, saying God will hold you accountable for what you hear and call you into judgment for what you hear. Um, I'm reading a book now that just helps me to understand this truth I'm going to share with you now, and that is evangelism is not our only aim and means when we speak to people. We simply speak truth because God has called us to speak truth. It's up to him and what he wants to do with that. He may very well use what we say as a condemnation to them, or he may use it to stir their hearts. Look what Jesus said here. He started off, I didn't read that part, but in verse 33, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. He said, you ain't kidding me. I see your fruit. And it ain't very impressive. That's, that's what he says to them. And then he says, you will be condemned by a generation that had a less powerful message told to them, and they responded, and yet you haven't responded to me. So the point there is that Jesus spoke truth, and it wasn't always for the purpose uh, of, you know, I want them to love me, and I want them to, to think well of me, and and I want to coax them into the kingdom of God. He simply told truth and let God deal with it and, and how he was going to deal with it. That's our responsibility. Speak God's word. Yes, yeah, speak it in love. But speak truth as well. And that's what Jesus did. He did not divide or divorce the two from each other. Speaking the truth in love, he spoke. And he's given us that responsibility. So we pray that God will use us as a witness, that God will allow us to be faithful, serving him and communicating his truth. I often think that, that uh, those who don't speak in a pulpit, as I do, 
have as much responsibility and opportunity as they interact in day-to-day -day times with other people <coughs> to speak thus saith the Lord and to live thus saith the Lord. Take your responsibility seriously. As we pray tonight, we'll be praying for the impact of the gospel <coughs> from our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. From our lives, but praying for faithful communicating God's truth everywhere we go and in everything that we do. Good evening, saints. We're going to be continuing our meditation through the Gospel of John. Also want to thank everybody who's been so generous with me and my wife. Thank you guys through this month. It is appreciated. It's good to be encouraged and loved. So we get into chapter 15 of this gospel. And in the gospel of John, we know it is written so that we might believe. And we've been seeing this expressions of different ways that we might know what belief is. And so now we know we're in the last phases of the book, right? It's not a surprise to us. It's not like it's a spoiler to say that this is the last times that Jesus, before he is resurrected, he gets to minister to his disciples. So we got three major sections of the book left. The section we're in, the crucifixion, resurrection section, and then the after the resurrection section. So we got three major sections. And we're in this final section where Jesus is discussing with his disciples the things he wants to tell them right before he dies. So we get into chapter 15, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, you, unless you abide in me, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that has bear as much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for the sheep. Lay down his life for his friends. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about 21. Now. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, 
and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, that you may love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. But if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's talk about this chapter. What is going on here? Well, he starts off and he says, I am the true vine. And his father is the vine dresser. What's the point of that analogy? What's the point that he's bringing to us? connection with Jesus and this idea of fruitfulness. Now, what is let's just say this, what role does the vine dresser do? He said that what? That's right. That's right. So he is causing things to grow. And sometimes the things he does are not necessarily pleasant to the plant, right? But let's just think about another thing, and maybe this is something that we just, I, we all know is true, but maybe we're not thinking about it explicitly. And that is that the vine dresser has expectations. Okay? He has expectations. So he has an expectation and he has a goal in mind. His expectation is that the vine will produce fruit. And his work is that it produces more fruit. And he wants to maximize that fruit. And his expectation is that his effort should have some bearing in fruit, right? So then you have Jesus calling himself the true vine. In other words, he always produces fruit. He always produces fruit. So in one sense, we get this understanding. And it's the beautiful, the beautiful nature of Jesus' analogy is that we get to learn about the nature of the Father. We get to learn about the nature of the, the Son. The Son is the perfect vine. Why? Because he does what the vine dresser asked him to do and produces the perfect fruit. So then, what are we to be? Well, he says we're to be branches. We're to be extensions of the Son. Now, the weird thing about a vine is 
who's to say where the branch begins and where the vine ends? Right? If you've looked at a vine on a garage or something like that, I think vines are some of the most beautiful plants in some ways. And in other ways, they can be some of the most cruel plants. Because <laughs> they'd be killing other plants sometimes. But uh, vines are interesting because it's unlike a tree. When you look at a tree, you see the main trunk, and it's pretty obvious. Now, at some point, it does split and become different branches. But with a vine, it had to have started somewhere. But where does it end? Where's the main vine, right? And sometimes you could tell that, right? Somebody who's more practicing it may be able to tell it. But where does the main part come and where does the, the secondary parts, where are those at? And how do you divide that? And one way of this analogy is saying that the proper way of being connected to Jesus is to be indistinguishable from Jesus. Or to perfectly fulfill his purpose and produce what he produces. It will be obvious to tell the difference between the vine and the branches if some of the branches produced a different fruit. Or if some of the branches looked differently. Or if they weren't connected. But if you're not connected, what happens to you? You die. Not connected to the vine is not a sign of a bad believer in this text. Because the punishment appears to be hell for those who are not connected, right? They're taken and burned. How many times do we hear about believers being burned? Let's just say zero, right? Believers don't get burned. So not being connected with Jesus and not producing the fruit that he wants us to produce is the sign of condemnation. So then jumping out of the analogy, how do we be part of that vine is to obey his commandments. We obey his commandments. He said, if you abide in me, do what I tell you to do. Just like I do what the Father tells me to do, and I abide in him. You know, the world talks a lot about unity. The world talks a lot about unity. But I've noticed that a lot of times when the world talks about unity, it's talking about it in terms that unity would never be possible. How can you unify a gay person, a transgender person? How can you unify a feminist and a Muslim? How can you unify all of those diverse interests? The other day, I was looking up what every single term meant in LGBT. Did you know it's like about 11 letters in there? And there's a number in there too, right? It's like LGBT. IP2SP plus. Right? It's something like that. And there's two spirit in there. There's intersex. I don't even know what that is. I don't want to know. It sounds gross, right? So it's like a lot of different things. How can that be one interest group? How can they all have the same interest? There's no way, right? And they want you to be unified, but the truth of the matter is that group itself is not unified. It's disjointed. How can we be unified if we obey Jesus? Now, there's something interesting that he says further down in the chapter. He says, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. People have a problem with that part. 
Did you know that you could obey Jesus by obeying those who have authority in Jesus? And that's not to say that the person is perfect, but you're just like if a police officer come to you and say, hey, stop. You might think the police officer is wrong, but you stop because God gave him that authority. I don't like the police. But I'm going to pull over when his siren's behind me because God gave him that authority. He's probably pulling me over for something he just made up on his whim. I'll be thinking that sometimes, right? But at the end of the day, I'm going to pull over because God gave him that authority. Not necessarily because I like him. Or, you know, he could be my brother pulling me over, right? And none, none of that. I'm just thinking, man, God gave him that authority. So it is with us in the church. Why would the world hate us? It hurts, hates us because we're separate from the world. So we ought not follow the world by being disconnected from one another. And we will be disconnected by not obeying the commands that Jesus gave us. Ultimately, this chapter is about unity, but it's unity through obedience. Or, put it another way, is unity by everybody staying in their proper place. People don't like when you talk about place. Where's a woman's place? How dare you tell me where my place is, right? They get their backs up. But there is a such thing as a man's place and a woman's place. There is a such thing as a pastor's place. There is a such thing as a member's place. If everybody does they part, we could be unified. When are we not unified? two people trying to do the same part. It's like when I turn on football and I see the Packers and two people in the same area that you're trying to throw in, you know somebody ran the wrong route. So it is in the church, right? You got to obey. You got to know the play. You got to run it properly. And we have to follow that authority. And that necessarily doesn't necessarily mean we like everything, but it means we follow that proper order. Amen?